Ladies and gentlemen, Real Paranormal Activity is proud to present Terry's Mysterious Moments. Good evening, and welcome to Terry's Mysterious Moments. I want to take this opportunity to thank you for listening to the program. Now, on with tonight's show. Good evening. This is Terry from Texas again. Another episode of Mysterious Moments. What is it that makes a serial killer a serial killer other than it's victim after victim after victim? What is it that makes a serial killer so hard to identify? Of course, we've all heard the joke about, hey, where's your Halloween costume? And they say, this is it. Well, you look so normal. What are you? I'm a serial killer. Because they look normal, apparently. Uh, would you have sus suspected Ted Bundy of being a serial killer just by looking at him? Or Jeffrey Dahmer? John Wayne Gacy, yeah, I'd pretty well peg as a weirdo. But most serial killers, apparently, and this is going to sound strange when I say this, the good ones can move in and out of society with absolutely no red flags until they make that one mistake that gets them caught. I would like to talk, to start with, about an incident that occurred on the evening, early morning of, July, of June 9th and June 10th, 1912, in a little community called Villisca, Iowa. In Villisca, Iowa, on that night, early morning, there were six people, correction, there were eight people, killed by someone wielding an axe. Josiah Moore and his wife, Sarah, Josiah was a local businessman, Sarah was a homemaker. Their son, Herman, who was 11. Catherine, who was 10. Boyd, who was 7. Paul, who was five, and because they had attended what is called a Children's Day event, they had two girls staying over with them that I would assume were friends of Catherine's, the Stillinger sisters. Lena Gertrude Stillinger, who was 12, and Ina Mae Stillinger, who was 10, give or take, 9 or 10. There are many schools of thought on how this happened, and one of them is that a man named Frank Jones was responsible for the murders. That if he didn't actually wield the axe, at least he gave the orders for the axe to be wielded. Frank Jones had been Josiah Moore's uh, boss before Josiah opened his own business. The rumor mill went around that Josiah had had an affair with Jones's daughter, 
and apparently didn't do right by her, and it made Jones mad. The Stillinger sisters were two kids from a local farm, but they were asked to spend the night at the request of the children because they were such friends, you know, and they had been to the same event together. Frank Jones uh, was a pillar of the community, apparently, and, and had enough power to not get charged, uh, not really get suspected hard. So eyes turned to a man named Reverend George Kelly, who was from a neighboring town in Iowa, and had been invited to Villisca to be a part of, to take part in, uh, to witness the Children's Day services. And because he was in town that night, and he was a stranger to some of the people, he apparently got suspected of having done this foul deed. And the other option was that it was someone who had no connection whatsoever to Velisca. And this is the one that says that there was a stranger in the attic of the house when the family got home from their service, uh, listened as the the house moved toward bedtime and as everybody got in bed he waited a while longer for everyone to get to sleep and sometime in the, the wee hours of the night crept down from the attic and committed the foul deed with an axe it said that I believe Lena fought back the Stillinger girl fought back and apparently there is some suggestion that there was, an, there was a sexual assault or a possible sexual assault that occurred on her. And apparently her alone. There were a couple of odd things other than the murder itself. There were a couple of odd things in the house. All of the mirrors have been covered with cloth. And a lot of times in the old days... If someone covered a mirror with cloth, it was because someone died. And that way, I believe it was that their spirits couldn't go into the mirror world or something like that. They didn't have any suspects on the unidentified list until several years later, a man named William Mansfield went by the nickname of Blackie. Also went by the name of George Worley. And also, Jack Turnbaugh was suspected by a private detective to have been hired by Frank Jones to kill the Moore family. It is said that Mansfield was a coke addict, a cocaine addict, and that he was a serial killer by later information gained. Uh, he was suspected of the axe murders of his wife, infant child, and father and mother-in-law in Blue Island, Illinois, on July 5th, 1914, two years after Villisca. He was also suspected of axe murders in Paola, Kansas, four days before Villisca, and of the axe murders of Jenny Peterson and Jenny Miller in Aurora, Colorado, around the same time. The private investigator who worked for the Burns Detective Agency of Kansas City said all of the murders 
were similar in that they were all axe murders and that in every case the mirrors in the location of the murders were covered with cloth. Mansfield was arrested and returned to Montgomery County, Iowa, which is the county that Villisca is in, and taken to a place I think it's called Red Oak County Seat. And he was charged, and he was tried, but he was never, uh, but he was released because evidence came up that he had been in Illinois on a job, and there was payroll to to prove that he was there, so he was released. And, of course, he went on to kill his family a couple of years later. Reverend George Kelly, like I said, the stranger in town, was arrested in 1917 and was tried twice. But the first trial resulted in a hung jury. The second trial resulted in an acquittal. And people say he was acquitted because the proof that the police had on him, which was a, a, an admission of guilt, was coerced and threatened out of him. So it was, it was unusable. Uh, it shouldn't have been entered into evidence. It said that Mr. Kelly, Reverend Kelly, moved from the town he lived in to another state. Then he moved to Connecticut. And then he moved somewhere else and he just kind of disappeared off the charts. Nobody knew what happened to him. Could it have been a serial killer? Could it have been someone totally unknown to the family, unknown to Velisca? Could it have been somebody from Velisca who was just a serial killer? You know, all these things are possible. Um, of course, I said the story about the killer waiting in the attic until the family got home. Uh, apparently sat up there and smoked cigarettes because they found cigarette butts in the attic, according to the story I'd heard. But what is, it, what is it about murders such as these that in the midst of the sheer horror of them, no one is ever caught, convicted, or punished? No suspects are seen leaving the scenes? There's a lot of fear and supposition and whispers about who might have done it but no hard proof. And this being 105 years ago, I would say that detection techniques were just starting to come around to a more modern viewpoint, but they didn't have things like DNA and uh, things like that to go by in order to uh, narrow down the suspects. A lot of times there was racial motivation behind charges filed, uh, ethnic uh, motivation behind arrests, uh, maybe even religious reasons behind the arrests and, and things. But let's look at some of the other, I hate to say famous, but more famous serial killers in history. We're going to jump back a little bit to Jack the Ripper, London, of 1888, the Whitechapel District. Five women who apparently were all prostitutes or involved in prostitution were brutally slain and mutilated in some cases almost beyond recognition. They had suspects galore. There was a butcher. There was a doctor. 
There was even a member of the royal family who had mental problems. They suspected so many people, investigated so long. They even had a Texan that they questioned about the murders. There's a man named Buck Taylor. He was a Texas cowboy and a performer in Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. He was even questioned about it. Apparently, Buffalo Bill's Wild West show was in London at the time. So, And Buck Taylor was born in Fredericksburg, Texas, so local to me. Move up to Austin, Texas, and move back in time three, four to, three or four years. A killer called the Servant Girl Annihilator, whom I've spoken about before in a previous touch-on in a story. The Servant Girl Annihilator in Austin from 1884 to 1885. Eight women, or I'm sorry, eight known victims, of which five were African-American females, two were white women, and one was a black man. Now, these women all worked as servants for other families. It was not a time of slavery, so they were being paid. It was a job. And for some reason, whoever was attacking these women would would uh, disable them in the house and then drag them out in the yard where they would assault and kill them. And apparently the man was collateral damage in one of the attacks. He was killed because he was trying to help someone else. It was conjecture at the time, as wild as this was Jack the Ripper on a trip to the United States before London. Who knows? It could have been. It could have been someone who thought like him. Uh, the author, O. Henry, the author who became known as O. Henry, gave this killer his name. He wrote about the servant girl annihilator and the name stuck. At other times he was called the Austin Axe Murderer. Just a little aside there. Um, another terrible, terrible incident uh, occurred in Cleveland, Ohio, between the years of 1935 to 1938, and even as far spread out as 1920, or the 1920s to the 1950s. There were at least 12 victims, and as many as 25, over the course of that 25 or 30 year period. These were, for lack of a better term, lower class individuals who would not be missed. Some of them were derelicts, you know, homeless, uh, maybe alcoholics, but they were found dismembered, beheaded, cut up. And an odd side note to this, Elliot Ness, famous for the movie and the TV series, The Untouchables, was the director of public safety in Cleveland at the time, and he could not solve this case. So I believe it was that he went quietly into the good night and kind of disappeared from view. Uh, there may be a connection in this story to the Black Dahlia murder in L.A. in 1947. You know the story of the Black Dahlia, Elizabeth Short who was a young lady who 
wasn't a bad person, but she had dabbled possibly in prostitution and uh, was possibly a party girl, you know, a private party girl. Um, she worked. She took care of herself. But she was found dismembered on a street in L.A., and it was a very similar to the torso murder, and there are some that even suggest it was the same individual. Now, oddly enough, there was an L.A. detective who claimed his father, who was a doctor, had been the Black Dahlia's murderer because his father had strange pr proclivities and, and uh, several kinks in his nature and was pretty twisted. And the son remembers different women being around the house as a child. So that's an odd aside. Um, here's another Texas relation, the Phantom Killer. And I spoke about this on a previous show also. In Texarkana, Texas, back in 1946, the guy wore a cloth hood over his, his head and had two eye holes cut in it. And he killed several people in Texarkana, over the course of a, a couple of months, and, and it was always three weeks apart, so he killed several people and then disappeared. And the thought was that he was somebody that everybody knew. He was a local. He was well-known. He was probably well-liked. But there was something about him that made him go on this killing rampage. A story I don't know much about, I just found out about, was the... West Mesa Bone Collector, and I don't know if this is New Mexico or Nevada or Arizona even to it, but apparently some hikers were up on this mesa in 2009, and they found some bones, and it turned out to be human bones, and when the police investigated, there was at least uh, 11 women, the bodies of 11 women up on that mesa. Uh, they have no suspects, no leads, no closure. Anything like that. And, and some of these other serial killers, like Henry Lee Lucas, just drifted around. He was quite literally a nobody in this world. That's why people didn't pay attention to him. Uh, the guy that helped him was probably the same way. <clears throat> John Wayne Gacy, other than being a party clown, he didn't look too odd, out of the ordinary yeah, but yet he killed, what, almost 20 people or more, something like that, and buried them under his house. Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, we know about that story. Um, Ted Bundy, you know, the Green River Killer up in Washington, or Oregon, or wherever it was. Different people. Uh, where do they come from? You know, and... How do they hide in plain sight? Is it just by being normal? Is this evil a spiritual thing that becomes real in a person and then can jump to the next person? I, I think there may be something to that. I think it may be an evil entity that possesses these people and causes them to do what they do. And then while leaving them with the facility of remembering what happened, they have no idea why it happened. So I'm 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 more afraid of evil than I am of evil people because evil people can be dealt with. An evil entity, evil spirits, just evil, pure evil itself 
is going to be around for a while. Well, that's my story for this week, and I hope you liked it. I hope you found it interesting. I'll put it that way. I hope you found it interesting. Uh, these situations are always sad because so many people are touched and hurt by them. So many families lose so many family members at times. If you have a comment or a story to share, you can send it to me at Terry's Mysterious Moments on Facebook or at Terry's Mysterious Moments at gmail.com. That's Terry's Mysterious Moments on Facebook and Terry's Mysterious Moments at gmail.com. Send me a letter, send me a message, send me a story, send me a comment. I like it all. So I want you to have a good week and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.